Well, this is it. This is week four of our series, 100% Pure. God's call to holiness. And though the series is ending, the scriptures and the message, I think it's going to be imprinted on our hearts for a long time. I know it certainly has been in my case. And our theme scripture has been out of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says it this way in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we unfolded this concept by recognizing the holiness of God and then recognizing our call to be holy. And though this subject can get complicated, if we wanted it to be, we're not going to complicate it. Because the definition we have looked at every week, and we'll look at again, is this, simply this. Holiness is being close to God. That's it. It's not rules. It's not being part of a certain church or certain denomination. It's about being close to God. And as we get close to God, we can't help but to become holy because that's who he is. I have a 12-year-old daughter who's in seventh grade, and she sits through sermons most weeks. She's ill this morning. And, you know, I asked her a question, and I said, have you, have you learned anything? I said, what have you learned about holiness? And she thought about it, and she's such a smart girl. And I was waiting for this really profound answer that she gives, and so she responded, a lot. thought she is about to be a teenager but I took it okay hey if a 12 year old has learned a lot I know I've learned a lot and, and God God is marking me just my own walk with him my personal walk Aaron and God the, the, these scriptures have, have impacted me so today I'm so enthusiastic about the scripture I want to share from you out of James chapter 4. It's our theme scripture today. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8 says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what holiness is. Get close to God and he will get close to you. And that's what we have been looking at. Ways that we are going to position our hearts to get close to this holy God, knowing that the touch of God in our life will change us. You cannot spend time with God and remain the same. He will change you in a good way. Not in a creepy, embarrassing way as we get so immature. Oh, I don't want to be a holy roller, or I don't want to be too close, or I don't want to be a goody-goody. No, it doesn't work that way. You get close to God. You get transformed. You get transformed, and it looks good on you. It's, you're reflecting the perfect one. It's not self-righteous. It's not haughty. It's not arrogant. It's a reflection of who he is. So in order to be holy, in order to be close to God, I want us to look at this very simple but profound um, exercise that's in verse 7. Part of getting close to God is we have to resist and say no to the enemy. We have to resist the devil. We have to say no to the enemy's plans. No to what he wants. 
Resist the devil. I want to talk about the word devil for a second. The word devil. It's really more of a description than it is a name. Lucifer or Satan is what he's known as. But the devil is like a description of who he is. The devil is an English word for the word diabolus. And the word diabolus gives us a lot of insight into who the devil is and what the devil is trying to do to our lives. Because the devil and his power is real. It's not just an imaginary tale or not an allegory. It's, it's a, real, a real presence, him and his demonic spirits that want to attack your life. I'm going to say this up front. This is not for you to fear and not for you to be alarmed because you're an overcomer. If you choose, you will have victory over the devil. But we're not going to be unaware of who he is. And part of being aware of who he is is understanding his name. So, diabolus, let's look at the first part of that word, dia. Dia means this, to pierce from one side to the other. So the idea is of, me, of, of the enemy or someone taking a spear, and they're not just going to jab you, and they're not just going to stab you, but this enemy is going to take that spear and go all the way through you. I know it's grotesque, but this is, this is what the people who first read this scripture or heard it read, this is what they were thinking. Dia, to pierce from one side to the other. Knowing this is that Satan, the devil, the obelisk, wants to destroy you. This is not going to be on the screen. It's not in your notes, but you'll want to write this down. John 10.10 says it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's why he's here. So Diabolus, the dia part, he wants to kill you. He wants to pierce through. He wants to make sure there's no recovery in you. He wants to make sure that every blow against your life and against your destiny and against your purpose is going to be the blow that takes you out. So I will say this. We don't fear Satan, but we're not unaware of his schemes and unaware that he wants to destroy us. So now let's look at the second part of this word. Second part of this word, bolus, means to throw repeatedly. So the connotation here is, let's, let's say if I had a rubber ball and I threw it against that wall, do we have any wall ball champions in here? Anybody want to fess up? Okay, all right, Pastor Matt, we'll see about that, all right? Huh? All right, first challenge here, new pastor on staff, we got some wall ball coming, all right? So... You, you, you throw the rubber ball against the wall, it's right back. Throw it again, it's right back. Repeat it over. It's actually a law of physics. That action causes a reaction. So the idea is something that perpetually happens, something that happens over and over and over again. That is what Satan does. That's what the devil does, is he tries to kill you. He tries to pierce through you. He tries to destroy you. But it's not a one-time event. It's over and over and over and over and over again. That's why... Some of us, really all of us, okay, all of us tend to have the same types of temptation over and over. And we can overcome those, and there's certain things in our life that diminish and eliminate. I don't want you to be without hope, but I want you to be aware that if there's been something that you've struggled with in your past, Satan, who's not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, but he does know your weakness because he observes, he's going to come back in that same area. 
If it's an anger issue, he's going to try to get you to lose your temper again. If it's a lust issue, he's going to try to expose you to pornography again. If it's a, if it's a relational issue, he's going to try, you to try to get you to treat your spouse or your kids in an unchristlike way. He knows you're, he's going to go after you again. That's diabolus, the devil. That's also a really great, if you really get mad at your kids, that's a great Christian cuss word. You can say, you diabolus. So that is his description, who he is. All together is Diabolus is the devil. He pierces completely over and over and over again. So let's go to our theme verse today. Is that out of, uh, well, no, we've already gone to James. James. Now, here's the first thing I want us to observe about the enemy is this from Scripture is he attacks. He attacks. The enemy is on attack. The enemy is on attack. Don't ever think that the enemy doesn't want to destroy you. God has a plan for your life. Man, we applaud that. We proclaim that. We sing that. But there's another side of that story. The enemy has a plan for your life too. The enemy wants to destroy you. And because of that, he is on attack. And that's why we find some tremendous insight on the characteristics of the enemy when we go again to 1 Peter, this time to chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, or chapter 5. I'm sorry, I was two chapters off. But at least it was an odd number, right? Close. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Another version says be alert. Okay, so this is, I'm telling you this right now. This was a theme that was at the men's retreat, and I'll say it again. Wake up. Get your eyes open. Get your head up. Get your head on a swivel. That, that's, that's something that I remember our football coaches used to tell me that. Allison, get your head on a swivel because someone's going to come and blindside you, right? Get, get alert. Be watchful. Look, your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the obelisk, your adversary, the one who pierces you completely over and over and over again, prowls around. Here's another, another metaphor here. Like a roaring lion. I had to say lion because the first service has said lion. And then I realized he's a liar too. That's his language. He's a lying lion. But he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, when I get to heaven, I'd like to talk to Peter because I think there's some kind of story behind the scripture. You know, I've seen a lion before, but it most recently it was at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago and there was like a really old lion behind a big barrier. And I don't think in first century Jerusalem, they had sophisticated zoos. So either Peter or someone Peter knew had encountered some sort of lion somewhere. And that caused the Holy Spirit to inspire this metaphor. I think it's more than that. There's characteristics here. The lion, his roar is here to intimidate and he's looking for someone to devour. Let me talk to you a little bit about the word adversary. Adversary, that is a legal word that was used in that day in Roman law, which ruled all of, all of the land, was used in a court of law as if someone was being sued. If someone sues you, they want to destroy you. They want to destroy your name. They want to destroy your financial future. They want to destroy you in, in a way. And so here it is. Your adversary, that person who wants to destroy you, 
the Diabolus prowls around like a roaring, intimidating lion seeking someone to devour. I'm here to, to let you know, guys, listen, wake up. Satan wants to destroy you. Satan is on attack and he wants to destroy you. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So that's part of what we know about Satan. Now, other, other things we know about Satan, we go back to the scripture. Let's go to the book of Job, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, right in the middle, the beginning of this ancient story. It's actually, most scholars believe it's the oldest book in the Bible. It was written first. Job, uh, God is approached by Satan and we know Diabolus attacked Job over and over again. He tried to destroy Job. He did destroy everything, but he didn't destroy his soul. And in the middle of this pseudo-negotiation, it wasn't really a negotiation because God is sovereign and in control. But as the story plays out, we get insight into Satan because it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. I choose the NLT for this version because the word Satan means accuser. And in the NLT, it goes ahead and just says that. The word Satan means accuser. The one who speaks against you. The one who speaks against God's will for your life. The one who is always bringing up the past. Bringing back the trends. The one who is trying to make you feel like you're less than who God has made you to be. This is one of the first books of the Bible, maybe the first book of the Bible. So that was in the past. But the book of Revelation is not about the past. The book of Revelation is about the future. The book of Revelation is about what's going to happen. The book of Revelation is a lot of ways about us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, gives us this revelation. This is what's going to happen. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Is that, can we say amen to that? And here's, this is one of the ways we knew we will know God's come and establish his rule and reign here. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Satan and his power is vanquished. It's ended. He's gone. He's thrown into the abyss, and then he's thrown into, he's thrown into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And he'll no longer accuse us. So I say all of this so you can know the characteristics. Satan is on attack, and he's going to attack you by continually going after your weakness, trying to get you to make the same mistake over and over again, and then he's going to accuse you and say that's the way you are. He's going to say you are a cheat. You are a liar. You are an adulterer. You are an angry person because I'm going to come back. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to bring that back over and over and over again because I'm an accuser, and I'm going to keep reminding you of who I think you are, but God's here to remind you that you're somebody else. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm not even going to go to the end of the sermon because you need to hear it right now. You are not manipulated by the enemy. You are not a victim of the enemy. You're not under his control. You are adopted, set apart, sanctified, holy, full of resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The accuser has no claim on you. He has no voice in your life. So what do we have to do? We have to take a stand. We have to resist 
We have to resist the devil. And that's what James 4, 7 says. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. So here's the second word that I want to give you. It's a little different than resist, oppose. Oppose. It's basically the same word. But I want to talk to you about now what you get the opportunity to do is to oppose or resist the enemy's attack. To, to oppose and resist and to stand against the enemy's attack. And this is something that God wants to come from the heart. He doesn't want, want it just to come just from moral choices, but he wants it to come from the heart. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our house. And I get my kids aren't here today. Two of them are homesick, so I can really use use them as an example. That's just the price you pay being a pastor's kid, right? You got any PKs in here, huh? Any, any PKs? Okay, well, all right. Thank God pastor kids still go to church when they grow up. So praise God. Glad to see you here. And I have wonderful kids. And I will say this is, is my kids love the Lord. They love the Lord. And that's a credit to their mom. Their mom does a great job with them. But something they don't do great, hence the illustration, is chores. And Beth and I are working with them. We try to get them to do chores and do better. And so we, we have these little systems that we start. And during January, January just messes up the house. I mean, a snow day, MLK day, and these little kids just reproduce trash. That's unbelievable. The house can be clean. And in one morning, all the work is destroyed. I'll go to my office just to get a peace of mind and then go back. And then Beth and I will implement our plan. And we'll have the kids start doing their chores. And we'll have them ask them to clean the room or pick up the trash. And you've seen this happen in your kids. And you've also seen this happen in your life where physically you're doing the chore. I mean, physically you're doing the task, but your facial expression says, I ain't doing this. I might be picking up the trash, but I'd rather be painting my nails right now or playing my video game or watching my show. And I'm going to, I'm going to get the task done but I'm going to indicate with my body language and my facial expression that my heart's not in this task. You guys know what I'm talking about? All right, this is often, I want you to use that, I want you to use that, and, and that has been me. That is kind of still me around the house sometimes too, so I don't know how to pick up my kids. But that is an analogy of how it is often when we resist the devil. Some of us make moral decisions because we're afraid of the consequences, and, and that's a good thing. We make moral decisions because we don't want to get caught. We make moral decisions because it's just the right thing to do, to say no to the devil. And I want to be very clear about this. That's still a good thing to do. Sometimes you have to just say no to sin, even when you don't feel like it. Because sin is fun. Sin is attractive. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a temptation. But there's times you just have to say no, even when you don't feel like saying no. That's how we resist the devil. But I think it's more than just that. That might be the starting place. But God wants you to go to a place where you don't just resist the devil, only you oppose the devil. And that comes through repentance. I want to talk to you about repentance. Because it's you, you can, I believe this, that you can change your action and still not be repentant. Okay? I, I sometimes tell my kids, you better stop this or you won't be able to go to this concert or won't be able to go to the sports game. 
you better stop this or you won't be able to watch TV tonight. And so they'll change their behavior, and at least I did when I was a kid, because they don't want the consequences of it. But they don't agree with me. Are you with me? Okay. They don't agree with my decision. They just don't want the consequences of it. I think a lot of us, that's where we start when we resist the devil. We're like, oh, man. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't take that money. No, devil. God told me thou shalt not steal. So, no, I'm not going to steal because that would be a bad thing. Are, are we, you know, we say, no, I'm not going to tell that person off because, you know, I've got to lead a 242 group or I've got to teach a Sunday school class. And I know next quarter we're going to talk about anger. And so if I tell them off, I won't have any moral authority to lead that. But we really want to tell them off. Are you with me? Do you understand how this is? And so that's a good, that's an acceptable and a good thing. But I think God wants you to oppose, which means to repent. When you repent, you don't just change your behavior, you change your mind. Repentance is changing your mind about your sin. And basically it's this. It's saying, I agree with God with what he says that this is sin in my life. I'm going to agree in my mind that this is sin. I'm going to agree with God's ways. Now, in Acts chapter 8, there was someone who was trying to buy the power of God, buy the power of God from the apostles. And in the middle of the story, For the sake of time, we won't go through the whole narrative, but I just want you to see the insight in Acts chapter 8, verse 21. The the apostles responded, and they said, You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Look at this. For your heart is not right before God. Now, verse 22 is where we're going to land here. It says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, look at this phrase, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. We'll go on to 23 and read that. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That was the result of their heart. Let's look at 22 again. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Listen, guys, we need God to change our hearts. We can change our behavior for a little while, and that's good to do. Don't hear me. I want you to make right choices. God wants you to make right choices, even when you don't feel like it. But after a while, that gets really exhausting. I mean, if you keep saying no to something morally and in your moral choices, but your heart's not with it, eventually, eventually you're just going to give in. It might be helpful those first few times. But there needs to be a change of your heart that comes through repentance. And repentance says, yes, God, what you said is sin is sin. And I'm going to agree with you. And because I'm close to you, God, because I'm holy, God, because I'm close to you and I agree with you of what sin is, now, God, I am asking you, if possible, to change the intent of my heart. Make my heart feel what your heart feels. And when that happens, you oppose the enemy in your life. The enemy brings to you a sin. It wants you to embezzle funds at your, your church. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah, don't do it there either. Wants to embezzle funds at your office, and it's right there in your face. And you say, I oppose that. Not just because that's one of the Ten Commandments that says, that shall not cheat or that shall not steal. I oppose that because I know who God is and I agree with God that I want to be a man or woman of integrity. Okay. You oppose 
Satan's plan for your life. And when that happens, here's the last word I want to give you is the word flee. This is a great word, the word flee. Because something incredible happens. Let's go back to, to our key verse today in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the connotation of this word in its original language is this. It's someone who has been caught by the law, and they're trying to flee consequences. Any, anybody in here ever ran from the law? This is our time to find out. That only happened to me one time in my life. I was, uh, I was 12 years old, and uh, I was out rolling with my kid, with, with uh, my friends, and we're like rolling houses. Just, just it was not a good thing. Junior high kids don't do as your pastor did, and we're rolling houses, and you know, just kind of doing goofy stuff. And all of a sudden, we saw cop lights. In all of our wisdom, someone said, one of the kids, seventh grade kids, said, "Run." So we all ran different directions. Because God's grace is on my life, the police decided, hey, let's follow the big kid. <laughs> and I ran and ran and ran and didn't get too far. So I know that feeling. Sounds like a Johnny Cash song, gone bad, huh? But the idea of, of you've broken the law and you've known you've broken the law. And so you flee, you take off because you don't want to get caught. This is exactly the connotation of this word flee, where it says submit yourself to God, resist the devil, oppose the devil, repent, and you start agreeing with God of what God says so that God would change the wickedness of your heart and the intent of your heart, and you're on God's side, and you've changed your mind against your sin, and you're not just, uh, not just ascending to moral behavior, but from your heart, you're saying no to what Satan wants for your life. You're opposing Satan's will for your life. And the enemy has to run. He has to flee. He has to run because here is what the enemy's done. He has broken God's law over you. God's law of love. He has broken God's claim on you. He, he, he has broken, excuse me, he has broken his claim on you. That God, God is on your side and he has to flee. He has to run. He has to go. That's why a psalm that means so much to us as a church is Psalm 68 verse 1 it says God shall arise his enemies shall be scattered this was a phrase that the Hebrew people a praise a slogan that they developed when they were in the wilderness and they would set up the tabernacle they would set up the tent there was a temporary facility and God's presence would stop there a cloud by day and a fire by night. And then when God was ready, the cloud would lift and it would move to a new place, a place of the unknown, a place where there would be enemies, a place where there would be opposition. But God's presence was taking them there. And so they would say, God shall arise and his enemies be scattered. We know it, some of us know it from other versions and other songs, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. You know, that's a great, helpful, and beneficial phrase 
in a church service like this. I mean, we come together and we have worship and we believe that. We're going to worship God. We're going to get into God. Let God arise. Let God's presence arise. And demonic influences have to leave. And the opposition has to leave when we corporately worship him. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. That certainly applies in a corporate setting like this. But I want you to personify it for a second. I want you to connect it back to James 4, 7. See, when the enemy of your soul comes against you, and he wants you to go back to that wrong attitude, to that wrong habit, to that destructive relationship. And it's alluring and it's tempting. Let God arise. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise. Let God's word come to the forefront. Let God's presence come to the forefront. Let the holy things of God arise and let the enemy of your soul be scattered. So I want to challenge you this week put James 4, 7 in application. And I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to identify something in your life that you need to say no to. It could be an attitude. It could be a habit. It could be a person. And I want you to purpose in your heart right now, you're going to say no three times in a row. Now, I don't want you to stop it three times, but if you just say no three times in a row, What's going to happen is you're going to align yourself with the will of God for your life. You're going to allow your, align yourself with God's purpose for your life. You're going to resist the enemy. You're going to oppose the enemy's plan in your life. And he will flee. He will go. Because every time you say no, the temptation, the temptation diminishes. You know, but our life has a momentum. And when we begin to say yes to the enemy, it starts building momentum in our lives. But instead, we're going to say no. We're going to oppose what the enemy wants. And I want you to make a commitment at least three times this week. You're going to say no. Why do I say that? Just because I want you to see, I, I, I want you to see a short-term goal because I believe that when you resist and say no to the enemy, when you say no to him, he's going to have to flee. You know what that means? That means there might be three times this week you're going to have to walk away from a conversation that has gossip in it that's not good for you. That means at least three times this week you might have to not answer a text message because you know that it's going to lead you down a destructive path. It means three times this week you might need to turn off a TV show. I don't know what it is. Three times this week you might need to go be by yourself and pray instead of letting something stew that's not of God. And if you, if you do it, it's going to create a positive momentum in your life. I believe that. Come on, let's stand together. I want us to seal this. Hey, this is what I believe. I was so excited about this passage. James, James 4, 7. Later on, what I want you to do is maybe you could go to your Bible and underline this verse if it's not underlined already. And go ahead and ache the part about submitting to God. That'd be good to underline that part too. And maybe you want to write in that Bible today's date because God wants to remind you of something. That date will be a memorial for you. That date will be a memorial that says that after hearing the scripture in a corporate setting like this, you'll realize that you're no longer a victim to the enemy. You're no longer someone who's controlled by him. You no longer have to say what he tells you to say and think what he tells you to think and go where he tells you to go because he has no claim on you. He has no authority over you. You belong to God. You're God's child. You're adopted by him. You have your daddy's name on you and you don't act a certain way because the one who called you is holy and he's going to cause you to be holy as you walk with him. You're going to walk closely with God. You're going to resist the devil. Say no to everything he has. And every time you say no to the enemy, you're saying 
yes to our God. You're saying yes to God's plan. Yes to God's will. Yes to God's purpose. Yes to God's path. Yes to God's will for your life. You're saying yes to what he has. And that's how we overcome. You see, we're part of the people in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, when it said, they will overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by not loving their lives unto death. So we are overcomers. We are not going to fall to the attacks of the enemy. Yes, the enemy's on attack, but that's okay because we are alert. Our heads are up. We have self-control. We are disciplined because of what Jesus has done, and we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb.